people and they're almost ripping him apart. So the Romans come in and take him out and try to figure out what's going on. Um, but if you take the first slide. So uh, I titled this, Jesus, the way all nations would be blessed. So we, today we're going to go through Acts 21, 27 and 22 to 29. And so if you take the next slide just to explain. So, so things are now, we're now in Jerusalem. And so the things that we are happening, if you can see it, is up by the temple in the one corner. There's also the, a tower of Antonius. So that's why the people could get so fast into the, the area. Uh, because there was a fortress right next to it. So the Romans come in and they actually preserve Paul from being ripped apart. Uh, and so it, that's still where things are going on. And then at the end, he'll be taken into that place. And then we have three different places that Paul is going to talk about. So uh, we're in Jerusalem now, and you can see that there. He, uh, Paul is born in Tarsus, like where the yellow line is from. And he is converted by Jesus on the way to Damascus. So just so you have a gauge of where the story is going on. And now, if you grab your Bibles and go to chapter 21, and then we will read together, and then we will see what the Lord will teach us through his scripture. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the Cyprian, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stripped out of a revolt and led 4,000 4, men of the assassins into the wilderness? And Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Sicilia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, Permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And there was a great hush, and he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, he became even, and they became even more quiet. And he said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strictest manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as, high, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I, enjoy, I journeyed towards Damascus to take those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on the way, I drew near to Damascus, and about noon a great light shone from heaven suddenly well, shone around me, and I fell on the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I, and I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. 
Now those who were with me saw the light, but not understand the voice of the one who was speaking. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that I appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand of those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of of all the Jews lived there. He came to me and standing by me said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear the voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling upon his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that I, in one synagogue after an hour, imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this point, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth. He should not be allowed to live. And they were shouting and throwing their cloaks and flinging dust in the air. The tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by him, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large price. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and they had bound him. This is the word of the Lord. So the Romans have no idea who Paul is. There's just mass confusion. Uh, so the, uh, Claudius Listus, which is the name of the Cyprian, he thinks he he thinks he's a, like an Egyptian terrorist that had had caused a revolt. Um, but Paul says like, he speaks to him in Greek and says, "Hey, uh, can I please say something?" And he is a surprise. He's like, oh, you know Greek? And Paul explains who he, a little bit about who he is, where he's from. 
And then he begs, uh, begs um, the tribune, may I please say something? Can I please say something to the people? I was just struck by Paul's devotion and love for the people that are trying to kill him. Instead of just getting uh, taken out of there, maybe into prison to be beaten, but he's still saying, may I please address them? May I please address the people? We can see the, uh, there's no doubt of Paul's love for the Jews. He also writes in Romans 9 about how he wished he would have been accursed if, his pe- if the Jews would have been saved. The theme from today is Jesus, the way all nations would be blessed. When we look at Paul's seal here for his people, and to share the gospel with the people. When we look at our lives, do we have the same passion to share Jesus with people? Also the people that don't like us? The people we know would misunderstand us. In Paul's case, they actually want to kill him. So do we, do we ha- when we look at our own selves, do we have that, is that a strong urge in us that we want to share that good news? And we might also have to just ask ourselves, is the good news really that good? Is Jesus the only way? He is, but do we believe that? Because who will share if we don't? So are we looking for those opportunities? Are we praying for those opportunities? I know some of you are. And I just had a conversation with one of the families here from the church that was experiencing all these coincidences so they couldn't share with some people. And they also said to me, but it's not coincidences. As we as a a church prepare ourselves to boldly proclaim who Jesus is, there will be opposition. And you've seen it in Acts all the time. You've seen it in Acts like when Paul pours out his life, there's always going to become somebody to try to stop him. Jesus is the victor of all, but we must also, as, Paul, as, uh, as Peter writes and what had is quoted earlier, why are we surprised? And I don't know about you guys, but I often get surprised. Like, why am I seeing, why are things not going well now? Why am I getting, why is there opposition now? Because we do have an enemy that don't want people to be saved. So pray for one another. Continue to pray for one another. Boldness, courage. That we wouldn't be blindsided when we believe the good news about Jesus is so good that we continue to share and know that Jesus is the strongest one. And again, when we're considering those things and what Paul also was considering is that he gets to share his whole story here and if the Jews would but listen then they might experience the same thing he experienced. They might have their eyes open, have their veil torn and they might see that Jesus is the real savior. In the story we see how they all go 
quiet when Paul starts speaking. And then it becomes even more quiet when he speaks Aramaic. He shares the story of his life, and we went through those. You don't have to do the maps. We went through those where he comes from in Tarsus, in Syria. He, was, he shares the story, and the, now, the, now the, the Jews are listening. Because Paul, in a cultural sense, is like the pinnacle. He has done everything, strictest of all things, so zealous. Paul appeals also to say, you can ask the priests and the Sanhedrin. They were the ones that gave me the letters so I could persecute the church, that I could persecute the people that followed Jesus, the way. I've put people in prison, men and women. I've, uh, even unto death have I persecuted people. Then he shares his story that we've heard once more and we're going to hear it one more time in Acts again. How Jesus meets him on the Damascus road, makes him blind. And the voice comes, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul goes, who are you, Lord? Jesus responds, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Why do the Jews not cry out at this point and say, hey, we don't believe in this Jesus person. Why is there not a huge riot here? They don't rebel now. But Paul is claiming that Jesus is Lord. He is claiming he is Christ. But they keep keep listening. Paul responds, what should I do, Jesus? What should I do? Go into Damascus. And we've 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 had it's Acts nine. We've had this slide many times. You're going to suffer all these things for me as you're bringing the good news all the way around to kings and different things. Here it's just short and says, "Go and do all the things that I've appointed for you to do." Paul's blind. He's being led in, and then you have this beautiful. Oh, this is good. Like uh, 22 6. Yes, this one. The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and hear the voice from his mouth that you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and what you have heard. And so, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the righteous one. Again, the Jews don't cry out here, but in this sentence, in what Ananias says, he says he, he says the righteous one, which, go, which goes back to Isaiah 53, the righteous one is the Messiah. It's the one who was going to come to save. He also says, call upon his name. He's just said it's Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, the righteous one, that's the Messiah. Call upon him, get baptized. You'll be a witness to the whole world. Call upon the name of Jesus. But it doesn't set the Jews off. It's actually a little bit strange. There's massive claims here that Jesus is the Messiah, but they're silent. But what sets them off? The slide. 22, 17. 
Paul says in the end, he describes how he's in Jerusalem, he's praying. He's turned his whole life around now. He's following Jesus. Wants to share Jesus with everyone. He, I have this great testimony. I was a persecutor of the church. Now I'm going to share with everyone. Jesus meets him in the temple and said, flee. But Jesus, I, I, they, why won't, they are not going to believe you, Jesus says. But I've done all those things. They must believe. It's like they will not believe you. But I'll send you to the Gentiles. Then, then the riot resumes. Away with him. Kill him. This man should not be allowed to live. What is going on? Paul has been, Paul has been claiming throughout his speech that Jesus is the Messiah. They're listening. When he says that they're not going to listen to him, and that he's called to flee out to the Gentiles, that's when the riot resumes. They're calling for his death. They're throwing sand in the air, throwing their clothes in the air. What is going on? Is this rampant nationalism? Is this suppressed anger of having different people occupy them as a country for first the Greeks, then the Romans, all these weird years trying to preserve a nation? Is it putting the nation over God? Is it putting the rest of their culture over God? If we remember Jesus in the Gospels, he, he oftentimes confronts the people and he does it in this way. He said, you have heard it say, but I tell you. So a cult, the culture had moved away from what God really had intended and he was trying to explain to them, this is actually what God really says, not what your culture has made. So now I'm going to start stepping on your toes or hopefully the Holy Spirit would press on your hearts because now it's time to stop for us to stop and reflect. The way you view the world, what lenses is it through? So there's lenses here How do we see the world? Are those lenses tinted by different things? Like Romanians are always better than Hungarians. Indians are always better than Pakistanis. Danish people are, of course, better than the Swedish and the Germans, and everybody hates the Germans because of the war. Most of the EU don't like people from the East part because they come to EU and take our jobs. Most people don't like gypsies. And you can go on and on and on. In the U.S., you don't like that with people from the north, they're strange. People from the south, strange. 
When we look at what nationalism does historically, it leads to racism and in extreme forms dehumanization. We thought it could never happen again. At least we said so. But then Yugoslavia exploded in the 90s and we saw mass genocide. We unfortunately saw that between the Hutsis and Tutsis in Rwanda. We saw it in Cambodia, we saw it in Germany, we saw it in Japan, in Egypt, in Turkey. But Jesus said to love our enemy. How do we see people? Do we love people better if they're from our own country? Or do we love them less because they're from our country? What about very, very rich people? Are they all evil? Are they all good? What about the poor? The young, the old? What about, how do we do with people with different jobs? You have a high class job, or you're a berry picker. What about people from other religions? What about the very sinful people? What about the criminals? How do we treat and think about them? I'm going to tread carefully on the next one. And this is with, this is with all respect and not condemning it anyway. Some people saw the soccer game that was on last night where one man in his best, um, best age all of a sudden collapses and his heart stops. Millions of people see a man, best age, um, all of a sudden his heart doesn't stop. Uh, all of a sudden his, his heart is not beating and he's laying there. It's very tragic when we all see it. This afternoon, I was reading the news. Ten people died in a gas explosion. Two people died horse riding. I'm by no means saying that it's not tragic when a, a soccer player all's over and many people were praying for him and he was revived and under the circumstances under the circumstances doing well but would we treat people differently because they are famous do we have more sympathy for those people How do we treat the refugee, the sojourner? The Bible has so much to say about the sojourner. That's, all, that's often never talked about when we talk about it in culture. But what are our lenses filled with? Are we so affected by the political climate in our country? Are we so 
caught up in preserving and protecting the wealth of our land. Whatever is the gospel of where you come from, how much has that influenced you? Because it's a false gospel. Because none of us chose where we were born. God did by his grace. And all we have is given by God. And what if we saw like Jesus does? What if we all the time met people like Jesus did? With great love and kindness and compassion. And love enough to ask the sinner to repent and change. What if our eyes were like God's when he looks upon us through Jesus' sacrifice? We live in a strange, strange culture where everything is instant. We are bombarded with uh, everything. What culture said, what politics say, everything in commercials caters to our flesh and ourselves. The world and the devil, our adversary, bombards us with everything. And it can change the way we view things. But what if God did the same to us? What if he removed Jesus from his eyes? We would have nothing. There'll be nothing between us and his holy wrath against us, our rebellion, our sin, our failures. We owe God everything because he had mercy on us. How much should it affect us how we view other people in his image? Jesus addresses this in the parable of the wicked servant where, just recapping shortly, a man has a huge, huge death. He can never pay it. It's like two hundreds of years of wages that he owes his master. His master comes and say, hey, pay. He's like, I don't have any money. Give me some time. Give me some time. And he could have taken him and thrown him in jail and kept him there forever. But he has compassion on him and said, okay, but then that wicked, he goes out and he finds somebody who shows him, he, um, who owes him just some few days' wages. And he catches him by his throat and says, Pay me. And he throws him in jail. Jesus uses this parable to say, Hey, you've been forgiven everything. That you change everything about how you view everyone else. We read in the Revelation that people from all ethnic groups will worship around the throne, not just Danish people or Romanian people. Every tribe and tongue. Now comes a little bit of a hot section, for me at least. <laughs> but what about other believers and other churches? Is the only one form of worship? Is the only one literature? Can we only use one translation of the Bible, or does the 
devil live in the drums or the piano or the organ? There's been many complaints about that over the years. If you don't do things like we do, you're not a real believer. believer. You have status, lowest status. Are we humble in praying and seeking good of others when we even disagree a lot? My way out of this in the old days was just saying, well, since they don't believe what I believe, they cannot be believers. Maybe that's not exactly true. Um, but what is my attitude? What is our attitude towards other people we don't agree with? In the old days, we killed each other in the religious wars. We've mostly stopped doing that as believers. But do we slander? Do we look down upon? Do we have an attitude that those people are crazy? And I'm not standing here saying that I have all this together. I don't. I don't think it's easy. And in this way, maybe I can very sympathize a lot, have sympathy with the Jews because it is very important that we have the right understanding of who God is. But am I forgetting that whatever God has revealed is a gift? We don't all have the same gift. Can we bless our brothers and sisters? Or is the gospel just for me or you? Is the grace of Jesus only for me? Or is it for exactly what we need to share with everyone? We're called not to be, we're called to be united, not uniform. All sorts of different music is of course okay. All sorts of different ways of expressions. Also culturally, probably people in different areas shouldn't be singing English and shouldn't be using the same instruments if their culture have different ones. So back to the Jews, was it rampant nationalism? Was it the nation over God? Was it culture over God? But it can't just be nationalism because we have that slide there where where he is rebuking them, but he is also saying that, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you made him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Uh, So what it means to be a a proselyte is when a person from a different nation becomes a Jew. So So from this verse, we can see that some people were trying to share the news about God with other people. But we also have Jesus saying when he clears the temple, do I have that slide? Mark, uh, Mark 11. Uh, so Paul is accused about bringing uh, Gentiles into the temple, which he didn't do, but but uh, even Isaiah fifty six seven says said about the temple, which is Jesus is quoting, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables and the money changers, and the seat of those who sold pigeons, 
and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was saying to them, Is it not written, My house should be called prayer, a house of prayer for all the nations? You men at a den of robbers. So again, Jesus is clear up, okay. <laughs> you were supposed to draw people of all nations in. What did God say to Abraham when he gives him the promise? And this is like, you can look it up. It's Genesis 12, 1, 3. Massively quoted in the whole New Testament. And then Paul sums it up. And now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and I'll dishonor those who curse you. And in your, you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This was the promise of what the Jews were going to be or who eventually became the Jews. God chose to bless Israel. They were supposed to bless, like we are, supposed to bless others. And Paul is trying to teach them that this was happening. This is what he just said. And if you take the Galatians part, that, that Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise. This is two verses from, uh, two places from Galatians. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. We just heard that. Saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. Second part. And now the promise were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to offsprings, referring to the one, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. He's saying that God preached the gospel back to Abraham so that the Jews would be a nation to shine the light until the blessed one came, the righteous one came, who is Christ. But then I have a quote from this one commentary guy. Um, the slide that looks like that. Ooh. Suddenly, the crowd remembered again what it has against Paul. He compromises with the Gentiles. He tells, tells them to be being Jewish doesn't matter. For a moment, they were impressed by his pedigree and his seal, but now they find their voices and shout for his death. The whole purpose of why God chose the Jews was that they would be a blessing. And we have the same today. I'm getting ahead of myself, but So what you say they assume that they resume their voices, you should Paul should die. Romans save him again. Great irony of the people who should have embraced him. Then the evil empire, Romans, saves him. He's about to be, sometimes you can complain about how the court systems work here, but here it's, they were trying to get a confession under <laughs> under torture. So that system was a little more crazy. Um, but Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen. And then it became, oh, okay, we can't beat you then. 
Like I've already said it, why did God choose Abraham? To be a blessing. They weren't choosed because they were a great nation. They weren't even a nation. They weren't choosed because they were morally upright or because they were obedient, because they weren't. Over and over again. And it's just going into the promised land, God keeps saying to them, it's not because you're great, it's because I'm great. You're not better than the people in there, but they've had 430 years to repent, and now they are done. Remember, I'm doing this, not you. You're supposed to be a light to the nations. It didn't work so much that way. Like us, they rebelled against God again and again. And the kingdom splits into two. They're taken out of the land. During all this time, God is sending prophets, calling the people back to God. But mostly the prophets were ignored, mocked, and killed and rejected. Although they were continuing to say that the promised one would come. The Jews were to be different, to shine that light so people would be drawn in. But in many times they fell into darkness themselves and rejected God. So what about us today? Why are you saved? If you are saved, why did God save you? Well, to be a light in the world. Jesus described it to be a city on a hill. God didn't chose you because you were better than anybody else. He chose you because of his grace and his mercy. We're asked to be the city on the hill so we can share with people around us who God is, who Jesus Christ is. That they can find forgiveness for their sin, adoption into God's family. And as Paul says, we cannot boast in ourselves because we did not do it, God did. We weren't awesome. He is. And God saved us by his grace and his mercy to walk in the good works that he prepared for us that other people might see this light. And please help, help us do that. Help one another do that. Also when it's hard. I know I've heard from more of you. Right now it's hard. It's, there's busyness, there's confusion, there's confrustration, there's arguments at home. These are all things to distract us from being light so other people would see. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Embrace the gift. Receive the gift of Christ. If you're not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're not turned from your old way and said, Jesus, I want to follow you away, we'll do that today. Invite him to be your Lord, God, and Savior. And then why wait? And then I said it, why wait? Be baptized. Receive the Holy Spirit as a gift. Now it says round up. So we round up with the last two slides. That's why I marked them in the Bible because that is way, way too small. I mean, Galatians should be in Ephesians. Sorry. Ephesians 2 11. Therefore, remember that once time you Gentiles in the flesh called uncircumcised by what is called the circumcision, which is made 
flesh by hand. So remember that you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off has been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandment expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. Paul's saying, we are one in Christ. Second part, 215, uh, that's not right. What's on the slide? Mm. Okay. Well, God, just continue. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. And he came, and he came and preached to you who are far off, peace to those who were near. And the, through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dream place for the Holy Spirit. Paul saying and summing up that Jesus was the one who came to save all peoples, not just the Jewish nation. There's one people of God, the ones who confess Jesus Christ as the Messiah, Lord, God, and Savior. Therefore, if he has saved us so much, the hostility we have towards other people Created in the image of God, we must, must look at Jesus and see how much he has saved us, that our lives will reflect who he is when we meet somebody else. And the Lord grant us that mercy and that grace. Amen. Jesus, we thank you and praise you <laughs> that you... you're an awesome, fantastic, amazing God that meets us right where we need you the most. In our darkness and in our sin, and you come and and meet us there by your grace and your mercy. Lord, forgive me for the many times I've looked up, down upon people created in your image, thinking I was better, smarter, all those things. Lord, forgive me for those things. Forgive us for those things. Lord, help us to love and cherish your salvation so much that it turned us into shining lights to everyone. Everyone's not going to receive, we know, but there will be people that will receive, Lord. And Lord, you are the one to judge people. We are the ones to extend what you've done to the world. Help us to not be surprised by the fiery trials 
I pray for each person here. You protect them, you keep them. The mind, the body, and the soul will be strong in you. Encourage each one. Help us pray for one another. Help us believe that you are praying for us. Help us, you, you, are create, you have created these things to walk in. Help us to walk in them day by day. Help us to enjoy your fellowship. Help us to be untouchable, even in troubles. Form us and shape us into your image even more. Help us to enjoy so much of all the things you've already done. Help us that our praise and our joy would be our strength in who you are. I pray for anybody watching, anybody here, Lord. Holy Spirit, do what you do. Open up their eyes to see who you are. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.